Okay, it's not what they want necessarily, which is important too. Um, it's really knowing what are the things they need the most. This is Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, episode 65. You're listening to Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, brought to you by the fine folks at Response Suite. We all get told that we've got to pick a niche and stuff, don't we? Or a niche, a niche. Which niche to go into? Yes. So over here, the only word we've got that rhymes with niche, the only word I think is quiche. Yes. So the, the quiche niche. The quiches are in the niches. The quiches are in the niches. And the truth is, the more, the more niche you are, the more quiche you'll be. And the more quiche you can afford. The more quiche you can afford. This has got weird now. Hello, this is Rob and Kennedy. Hi. From Response Suite. I don't know what's happened. There's something in the water, isn't there? I've never had quiche. I've never had quiche. In fact, I can tell you a funny thing because obviously quiche is like, what is it? Like egg and biscuit. No, what not egg and biscuit. <laughs> egg and a little bit of custard cream. <laughs> I always thought your mum had weird cooking. <laughs> um, I've, I've never, also never had a quiche, but I once put to my dad and he, I always remember he said, I said, oh, what you had for your dinner? And he said, oh, I had a quiche. And I said, oh, what, what sort of quiche was it? He went, oh, something like egg. <laughs> <laughs> I always did have ham in it or something, Dad. I always think quiche looks like somebody's taken all the leftover bits of food off the plate and put them into like a pie thing. That could have been how it started, though. I think it, it probably was. Yeah. It's like all the bits you didn't want crammed into a big thing you don't want. We're on a really, on a really, really good mood today. And one of the things that I did this month, well, I had a pretty big mood. Well, there's something you've never done, isn't there? There is something I've never done, and that is yeah, shock horror. Please sit down if you if you if it's safe too. Because I had never seen any of the Toy Story films. None of them. Not a single I was Toy appalled Story. when I found this out. So I thought what I'll do is, obviously the new Toy Story movie came out fairly recently. And I thought, well, there's a lot of hype around it. I want to go and see it, but I want to get the full context. So it was Friday Eve and all was quiet in the house. And I thought, right, that's it. I'm going to watch all these, all these movies. So Emma, my other half, came in. She brought the... Did she already have them or did you have to... No, like, she, she thought them? she had them at home, actually. On the Thursday, she sort of checked out whether she had them or not back at, back at her parents' house. I say back at, her, see back at her parents' house. She didn't. So she secretly Amazoned them. And she got them delivered the next day, of course. So the box set of one, two, and three all arrived. Lovely stuff. So we, we crammed them in. So between, on the Friday night, we watched Toy Story 1. Loved it. Uh, absolutely loved it. Toy Story 2 on, on, on Saturday afternoon. Three Sunday night. Did you cry at all? Uh, I didn't cry. I, didn't, I don't think there's any need to cry in Toy Story, is there? No. Which, did you sort of make you cry? When, you cry everything when, uh, when, that, when that awful kid takes the toys away. Yeah, but it's funny. Like, it's great tension. The stories are amazing, right? Yeah. So, obviously, we, I mean, I'm not going to tell you about how, I'm not going to sell you all on the idea to watch a Toy Story because I realize I'm the only person who hasn't watched it. Very funny. Okay, lovely. But then the next night, the Monday night, I think it was, no, it was the Tuesday night, I went and watched, I went and watched Toy Story 4. So, I went from zero to all four within less than a week. And I feel very privileged. That was a lovely place to see. And next month on Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, Kennedy's review of Finding Nemo. <laughs> I've not seen that either. I know you haven't. That's why I said it. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing as well. Like, you're it? well and truly missing out. I'll tell you what else is amazing. What's that? Today's episode. It is a really, really good Boom, episode. Segway. I, I love that. I love what you did there. You may as well have ridden that segue in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we're speaking to Aaron Ross and we learned something else really amazing in the UK Aaron can be pronounced Aaron which is correct or Aaron and we have a friend who, who is an Aaron right mm. so the first thing I said to, to Aaron when we got him on the call is I said how would you like us to pronounce it Aaron or Aaron and he dropped and if you're a Brit you will realise this is massive the Americans American, listening are going to be, be like, like you're what? foolish whatever but 
there is only there is only one. There's only one. There's only one pronunciation. That was a football reference. Do you like it? I did. There's only one pronunciation of Aaron because it's like Aaron, which sounds like both at the same time. Mind blown, Mike. Drop. I mean that's insane, isn't it? And the more you the more you look at it, you think, how's that even possible? You know, like when you have one of those weird maths puzzles where somebody's got a tenner and then something goes wrong and they give two pound over there and there's a pound left. There's over. a pound left over. It does it's, feel like that. It's like one of those, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Or it, it's actually much more like it's much more like that thing that was either pink or silver. What was it? Was it a shoe? Oh, that dress. The dress. The dress, the dress. was blue, it gold or golden? Yeah, something like golden that. Golden blue. You know, when somebody says to you, "Try and think of a new color that's never been thought of before," and you can't do it. Yes. Imagine you just had. That's how I feel. Is <laughs> just made of a new color. Okay, we are going to speak to Aaron Ross. He of Salesforce fame wrote one of my favorite books ever in business called Rick Revenue. He's got a brand new book, a fairly new anyway book out called From Impossible to Inevitable, which I've been devouring. Liked it? I devoured it. <laughs> That's a musical theater reference. We're much more on track now. <laughs> uh, name the music. Name the musical. Tweet us at Responsory if you can guess what musical that was. Read it? I devoured it. It's a pretty good impression too. Very good, yeah. Well, that's pretty good. All right. So we're going to speak. To, we're going to speak to Aaron. 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 In in a few moments' time. But before we get into any of that, we're going to head over to Rob's very important and truly inspirational quote of the week. Yes, because as they say, for the brave, there is no great beyond, and there doesn't really need to be. It just sits, it gets you right in the feels, doesn't it? Doesn't it just? You're welcome. <laughs> We've been speaking to a lot of our customers and, uh, and friends and stuff online and in Facebook groups on LinkedIn and stuff about obviously email marketing. Everyone's really focusing on how to get more of your email marketing. And I don't blame you. Obviously, once you own that, own that data and you've got them in your email marketing system, it's much better than relying on the fact you're going to have any kind of reach on Facebook or any of those sort of social platforms. And that's why we've got to really focus on getting better results from it. And that's something that... And that's getting harder to do. It is getting harder to do because there's so much more noise and the algorithms of all these Gmails and everybody like that are getting smarter. And everybody's just just overwhelmed with too much information in every area, right? So Rob and I have obviously been obsessing over how to do a better job of email marketing. And we're teaching you some of our favorite methods for increasing the results you're getting. Not just engagement and open rates in your email marketing, but how to make more sales of your stuff from your email marketing. And we're teaching that on a web class we've got coming up. Yeah, so you can actually register for it completely for free. We're going to give you an entire campaign that you can just take and deploy in your business to start getting more results. We like doubled our sales with email. So just head over to responsesuite.com forward slash webinar, catchy. You'll be able to register totally for free. Join us for the web class. We'll give you all the stuff we've got and you'll like it a lot. We're now going to head into our interview for this episode where we're going to be speaking to Aaron Ross and we're going to be talking about the importance of something that you've, we've all heard so many times we should do, but Aaron has a really amazing way of really communicating why it's important and actually the impact it had on him personally. Let's speak to Aaron Ross. Lord Aaron Ross, welcome to Three Marketers Walking the Podcast. How are you, man? I'm doing well. I'm like, I, I like that introduction. I may have to put that in my bio and keep it for future interviews. I mean, as a landowner in Bonnie, Scotland, it's only right the way you dress you correctly, no? <laughs> I know, you know, and it's not the size of the land that matters. <laughs> That's what they say. Now, yeah. we're really excited to chat to you today about this concept of niching or niching, I suppose, uh, because this is a thing we've all heard about. We all know that we should be choosing our niche and kind of really defining that and who we're going to speak to. We all know that. 
But what does that really mean? Give us your side of the story on it. Yep. Well, uh, again, in the States, we pronounce it niche. So it's a, it, there's a little bit of a rhyme, which is pick a niche and get rich. Um, I don't think it yes. works. I don't think it works as well there. I mean, pick a niche and get rich. <laughs> it sounds like a bad rash, doesn't it? Yeah, no. Um, you know, again, learning through personal experience, through painful, often personal experience, mm-hmm. the importance of being, you know, the, the more specific, the more targeted you are with your niche, which means like the kinds of customers you can serve and what you're providing to them is essential for being able to build a business and grow it. And the reason a lot of us, including myself in the past, have resist that uh, has to do with different kinds of fears, fear of missing out, fear of being bored, fear of da da da, da. And when we can embrace that specificity, uh, you know, picking a niche isn't about being small, it's about being focused. And that is, again, kind of this, how do you thread the needle to be successful, to, to thread the needle to be able to grow? And that's the resistance to picking a niche is or when specific enough, is the number one most common reason companies struggle to grow. That's really interesting. One of the things that I, I think I hear a lot, especially from listeners and from ourselves, and we talk about these things, speaking to other entrepreneurs, is often we come into, into the world that we're in because we're really good at something or we have a passion about something, but we haven't got a passionate, we haven't found that passion based on a niche, based on a market that we've decided to serve. And so there's often this sort of feeling where you're in the middle thinking, yeah, but, I, but using these skills or this program or this, this way of doing something, I could help lots of people, but who the heck do I help first? How do I decide what's going to be, like you say, least boring or what's going to be, where am I going to be able to have the most impact? Like, how do we even begin figuring that out? If what we're coming to it from is the skill set itself. Well, again, I, I feel like people need to, I think everyone has heard the phrases, all the different versions of, you know, you have to pick a niche to be successful and pick a niche. Um, why don't they do that? So I think if you people have to, it really helps to go back and examine like, why are, am I afraid? Like, what are either the logical reasons or if I'm honest with myself, some emotional reasons I'm not, you know, focusing on a niche before they're able to like really make progress on this, even the skill set. Because most of what holds us back in business is, well, actually, you know, the only thing that holds us back in business or life is ourselves. And the people have, again, going through my own experience and seeing like all the different fears that I had and what stopped me from growing, um, different kinds of fears and anxieties that I didn't even see. And once I got over those, I was able to, you know, how's that would help power me to grow my own income 11 times. Eleven I times. I mean, that's that's. A, I mean, we're not talking. We're not messing about you with numbers. Eleven times is massive. Yeah, and it wasn't from. It wasn't from ten pounds to one hundred and ten pounds. It was <laughs> uh, in U.S. dollars. It's like you know seventy-ish thousand dollars to eight hundred thousand dollars a year in personal, personal. And you put that down personally, just to Nishin. A lot. So there was there. There wasn't the only thing, but that was for sure, for sure, a key component. So it was niching. Um, that was probably the biggest one. That was the biggest one. I had, I found a part business partner, mm-hmm. um, didn't work out. So then the business partner, um, published the book, predictable revenue. But again, that was partly because I'd already like decided to refocus on my niche. Mm-hmm. And, um, I ultimately that what really powered the motivation to do that was having, getting married and having kids. So that was sort of what forced me to go over my fears around niching and sort of growing, growing. And I did it. So, because I, before, before I picked predictable revenue and really focusing on outbound sales is like my niche. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I started at salesforce.com. I did that. But in the years between leaving salesforce.com, I went through all these things. Where I'm like, well, I'm tired of sales. I don't want to do that. Um, I've kind of only done that. It's not interesting. It's not big enough. I want to do something. I want to help people. Mm-hmm. I had all these kind of things. And so I did these projects. I did something called uniquegenius.com to help people make money through enjoyment. Um, I did something called CEO Flow. Turn your employees into mini CEOs. I wanted to help teams and like and entrepreneurs really um, feel empowered by their businesses, not trapped by their business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it came down to it, the thing and I got married and I had to make more money. So we had two kids, we had another one on the way. When I had to make more money, when I really had to make growth happen, I had to go back to what I was best at, mm-hmm. outbound prospecting, mm-hmm. and to make a business out of that and just to really focus on that specific niche. Um, I think one other thing I'd done in the past was kind of general sales consulting. So I did all these different things, but when it came down to making more money for the right reasons, can support the family, I had, I had, it forced me to get over these different fears and concerns and pick my niche outbound prospecting. And that was the, that was one of the key or one of the top two or three keys to making, having multiples more money to make. I think what's an interesting question is, at what point do you think somebody has gone too niche? So for example, let's imagine that I was going to set up, I don't know, a Facebook ads agency. I say, okay, great. I'm going to do Facebook ads for people. That's what I'm good at. I'm going to do that. And I go, actually, I'll tell you what, that's a bit niche. I'm going to just do it for the private healthcare industry. There we go. That's all I'm going to do. And then you go, actually, I'm just going to do it for private dentists. And you go, actually, I'm just going to do it for private dentists with ginger hair. Uh, like, I mean, how, how far do you go before at some point you realize? I mean, is that to do with, do you, do you do an analysis of market opportunity? What, what do you do in terms of yeah, how niches do niche? Honestly, so I don't, if you're a small, if you're under a few million dollars in revenue, any kind of analysis of market opportunity is a waste of time is my, is, that's my two cents because you know, whether there's a I mean, if there's only two customers in the world okay, maybe it's different, but if I'm, making a few hundred thousand, if I'm making a few tens of thousands, a few hundreds of thousands of dollars, there's going to be a market for me to grow. I mean, there's a market for everything today with the internet. If you want to sell um, guitars that are shaped as if they were made by elves from Lord of the Rings, <laughs> there's a market for that. If you want to sell noodles that, are, that spell out noodles in some weird font, I mean, there's a market for anything. So it's not that there's a, you don't need to know about the market opportunity. If you have, if you are an invest, investor-based business and you have $50 million in revenue and you're trying to get to $500 million, you, you do need to do those sorts of things. Sure. But not if you're going from 50 to 500 or 100,000 to a million. Right. So what do you, how is it too narrow? Honestly, it's probably, I don't know if you can be too narrow. I don't know if you, I actually, I might not be narrow enough. There's okay. even an app on prospecting. There's so many you know, I'm thinking about doing some new programs around just, just for SDR, like outbound uh, the managers of teams of outbound prospectors for, it's just like this, there's so much stuff out there. You can pick almost anything and there'd be enough there, no matter what you pick to, to grow. One of the things I think now I'm thinking is what, what if I've nailed my niche? How will I know that? Like, is, is, is there going to be some kind of evidence showing me in my day-to-day life? And, and the, and is there going to be evidence that I've, I'm, I've nailed it? I'm there. Um, I think where that shows up is typically the business will run more smoothly. Like people, you'll either be able to generate leads more effectively. So whether you're speaking at a conference, mm-hmm. doing webinars, doing blog posts, doing video, whatever, whatever your content or your marketing programs look like, you'll see some effectiveness, uh, better effectiveness, and ideally some sort of repeatability. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you haven't nailed your niche 
in your messaging and targeting, what happens is you can spend money on paid marketing, but again, but that's Facebook ads or LinkedIn or events, and you really won't make much money. It won't work very well. So when you have nailed your niche and you know your specific kind of target and what they want and the messaging, you'll see your lead generation program start to work better. That's one. You'll see people, people will just get it more easily. They're like, oh, that's what you stand for? Oh, you're the person who does Facebook ads for dentists? Yeah, okay, sure. I, I, I could use that. You don't have to go through five or 10 minutes of explaining how, what you can do and how you do it. And they just it should be a little more, more self-evident. So okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, obviously there's a big balance here between, obviously if your niche is smaller, then perhaps you're now in a place where you need to start. Okay, great. In that case, I need to find some clients who can pay more money. Likewise, if the niche has a billion people in it and you have the ability to serve those billion people, you could be selling needles for half a penny each, as opposed to selling jumbo jets for you know loads of money. So how do we get this balance, I suppose, between making sure that we're packaging stuff and selling it for the right sort of price so that it balances out with the number of people we can sell to? How do we kind of quantify that stuff? And all those yeah. two things related, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think my background it really is in business to business and um, either in consulting with SaaS companies and working for salesforce.com and have my own business that sells to businesses, right? Predictablerevenue.com. And I see the consumer stuff um, and, you know, really every business just comes down to, do you know your customers? Do you know what they want, um, better than they do? Can you deliver something to them that they enjoy and so on? Um, so I think on the business to business side where most of the, what I see, and I think most people listening here are selling services to customers or whether it's by webinars or consulting. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really one of the keys, let's go back to growing revenue. One of the keys is knowing, Hey, what, uh, what do your customers need? Okay, it's not what they want necessarily, which is important too. Um, it's really knowing what are the things they need the most. So even if you are selling to dentists with who is Facebook ads to dentists, mm -hmm. like there's going to be different types of dentists. Some of them are going to be small and want to stay small and they're just not going to want to spend money on ads mm -hmm. and the other dentists who want to grow. And so you're kind of looking for, Hmm, even with these types of customers, I, I know I want to need to serve. How can I tell the differences between the types of customers where it's kind of a nice to have, what I do is a nice to have. It's interesting, but they're not really going to use it. They're not going to buy. And the ones that need me the most and the ones that need me the most, what do they really need? Like, what can I deliver to them that would make life easier for them? And, and that could be anything from the way you deliver that product or the format in which the, 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 the actual education takes, if it's a training and all those sort of things together, yeah. right? Software programs, services, training, um, whatever it is. And, and partly because going back to the better you know what they need and what's valuable to them, the easier it is for you to uh, create the services and price them in a way that's usually higher than you would expect to make more money doing it and actually make them deliver more usefulness to them. That's really interesting. One of the things we've identified here at Response Suite is that if we sell to people who want something, yes, that's an emotional thing. And we're told that in direct response marketing, we're told to appeal to the emotional side, get people to make emotional decisions based on the things that they want because people buy what they want and not what they need. But actually, when you're selling B2B, if you're selling people an opportunity to improve their business or to, to maximize that kind of thing, that's going to be a very short-lived return on that investment. And actually, you're going to find your churn goes through the roof. You're going to take a lot longer with onboarding and people are going to sort of fall off during trial periods like that. So what we're really talking about is going after higher quality customers who are going to have a longer LTV, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is why in the in the From Impossible to Inevitable book, you know, one of the chapters is there. Of course, there's a big one. The number one is about the niche, right? Because that's that's the starting point. That's the most common problem and easiest place to get some some improvement. But this uh, other one on increasing your deal size. Yes. Uh, if you can find, a, you know, everyone, most people start small. Like you want to, you get yourself off the ground. You're getting smaller deals. You know, whatever, whatever you can get. And as you start to make some progress with your business, and whether you get to a few tens of thousands, a few hundreds of thousands, as soon as you can typically go up market, which means either bigger deals with the same customers or do hopefully bigger deals with, with bigger customers, um, there's a lot of benefits because not only will your customers typically have more resources to take what you're helping them with and make it work for them, Right, because how many little customers they hire you, and then you help you give them whatever you're delivering to them, and nothing happens, right? Because they just mm-hmm. they can't they, they can't, can't implement, it. they can't get they going, can't. they're in the right wrong stage, they haven't yeah. got the pre stuff, the stuff they, they don't need know. To yeah, yeah, they don't have the person, the budget, the timing, the accountability, the what. So bigger companies tend to be more capable in taking what you're helping them with and delivering. Them. They also are more financially responsible or capable, or they're not gonna you know go out of business. They'll they'll pay on time, they'll pay up front. Um, they'll be able to, again, pay for bigger deals. So there's a lot of benefits towards trying to go up market in size of company, size of deal, because not only can you make more money that way, but your customers typically will get a better result. They'll be able to get a better result and like invest for themselves better. Like take your ideas and actually do it. Because the people at that stage already have, I mean, it, basically they already have their shit together. They've already got the ducks in a row where they know what they're doing. They, they've already got a bit of confidence in where they're at. They're a little at further stage in their business. They can actually take take action and they'll appreciate what that improvement is, right? Yeah. Now, and there might even be executives who are really like looking at the numbers and you know what are, what's happening, how much money are we making? It's, it's not as uh, an emotional business feel right or not. Right. Now, the flip side of that in terms of being able to scale this is there's, there's the thing we just talked about, which is nail your niche and then look for opportunities to increase the deal size. That's fine. The alternative is nail your niche and then sort of pivot slightly so that you keep that ball in the air, so to speak. And then you start, okay, great. So I've, Choose I've, I've nailed the Facebook ads for dentists. Now I'm going to do Facebook ads for gardeners. Okay. You might do something slightly more related than that, but you would, you would swivel to the next piece. Are there problems? Or, or do you think or maybe even that could be like to bleed that out? Maybe you might go into the larger sort of healthcare thing. So I guess, yeah. What I really mean is, are there problems that start to arise in the content that you now have to put out that now has to keep the balance of both audiences or, you know, three audiences or 10 audiences, depending on how far you keep going. Mm -hmm. Are there problems that start to arise from that? And if there are, like, how do we uh, mitigate for that? Yeah. I mean, not typically. There definitely can be a lot of problems when you start to try to target or target more than one audience. Um, I mean, the thing is, like, everyone who's listening, the, the great thing is that you're a smart person, and including you two, too, you characters. Really? Um, you can do kind of every, anything well, but the problem is you can do anything well. And sure. so it's really easy to get stuck with, how oh, we could do this, that, and the other, all these things, right? For me, I could be any genius. I could be CEO flow. I could do predictable revenue. I could. So when we, uh, it's really, I think, more common you focus on one thing, um, do that really well, which might take some number of years. Right, it's probably not months. Just depends. And then, yeah, you can. You said you get the dentist Facebook ads off the ground, and then you might look at branching off into something else. It's pretty. I think it's relatively uncommon to end up adding too much content um, when you're doing that, that approach. These niches. The problem is usually for software companies that create platforms. 
where you have these tools that can be used for anything. And they do, they, they feel like they need to create a bunch of content around different industries and use cases. And, um, you know, cause people don't always know how to use kind of this tool set they, they make. They're like, like a Twilio, right? This, it's another company we case studied in the From Impossible book. Mm-hmm. You can, Twilio has a API communications platform. Companies like Uber use them for all their texting and calling. Mm-hmm. It's because you kind of build whatever you want with Twilio. And so yeah. one of the ways that Twilio uh, makes themselves more marketable is giving people case studies and examples of here's all the things people can use us for to give people specific ideas. Right. But again, uncommon, not going to be a very common problem for the, um, I think most people listening here. I will say again, the more that you can really get to know your customer, through whether it's interviews, not just selling to them, which is one way, but also other ways you can just listen to them without agenda. Find ways to just talk to them without feeling like you need to sell them something or you just want to like listen and learn. What do they want? What do they need? What are they not getting? What do they see the trends as? What are these like keywords and key phrases they use in the day-to-day language of talking about their business, what's working and what's not? And when you start to look and really get into their minds, you really want to learn how to kind of read their minds and build that empathy being able to put yourself in their shoes and that will give you the best radar for the kinds of amount and kinds of content you need to create or cold emails to write or videos to post or whatever kind of things you're going to create for them. It's, it's really great. And, it, and just not getting too wide and making sure you do it based. I mean, the story thing is really important. Like doing that case study thing and, and telling the stories of applications, especially if you've got almost like a, a Swiss army knife type tool that you can, that you can use for anything. Telling that, telling it that way yeah. is massive. We're going to interrupt this chat just for a second to play our very first game of the episode. Now we know, Aaron, that you're going to be very soon uprooting your entire family and moving over to Edinburgh. I believe is that right? True. Yes, that's the plan. That's the plan. So what we thought we'd do is give you a little bit of Scottish education to make sure you can no. understand what the heck they're saying there. Okay. We've got. 10 very famous, not very well famous at all, Scottish expressions that we're going to try and, I don't know, absolutely... Annihilate. Yeah, criminally annihilate. And your job, if you can, is to try and just have a little guess on what on earth you think we could possibly be talking about. So here's your first Scottish expression. Here we go. What's for you, new go pasture? I don't know, when you get to put the sheep out in the pasture. I mean, it's close. I mean, it means whatever is meant to happen will happen. Que sera, but in Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought of that. That's absolutely true. Okay, the next one is, you're a wee scunner. You're a wee sc- Yeah, it's like a, a kid eating a, a pastry. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, you're a little nuisance. Here's my favorite one, I think. Your bum's out the windy. Are you mooning people out the car? Uh, that's what it should be, <laughs> it isn't should it, be, right? It, it just means you're talking rubbish. Uh, next one. I'm getting the messages. Um, that you understand. I understand what you're saying. You think so. That's what I thought it was. I'm getting the messages. Yeah. I mean, it means I'm doing the grocery shopping of all. So you'll things. have to remember that when you go to the shop. Okay, yeah. I'm well, getting the messages. Bad. Okay. What does had your wish mean? Had your wish. Um, that it's rugby season. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you want to say this to the kids when you move them all across, actually. It means be quiet. Here's a very famous Scottish I need that. I need that one. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the ones you need. Here's a very famous Scottish phrase uh, over here. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't ken. Oh, I didn't understand that. It's very You good. can have that. Yeah, I you don't can have know. That. Yeah. Yes. I, it means I, I don't know. 
Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. This one. Here we go. Here we go. Here, right. I'm going to try and read this one really closely. It's Gid Gear comes in some bulk. Sorry, Scottish <laughs> friends. I could have been talking Norwegian then. I don't know what that was. Yeah, I have no idea what that was. That means good, thing, good things come in small packages. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> you'll use that one regularly. I'm sure you'll be listening back to this. Thinking, I need to learn that. Here we go. The next one is Lang May Lum Reek. Can you hear me now? <laughs> he's very good at guessing though like, he's, I mean he's, he's given it it does mean it does mean I wish you well in the future I have this one this is that's, pretty close. One. that's pretty close yeah it was pretty good it's pretty good alright I, I, I like this one as well I think I might start using this one in just general mid-conversation I think we yeah. should all have a challenge to do that let's and try I, and get this to America before <laughs> you move to Scotland <laughs> okay this one is Tatty's our the side uh, I had a burrito and I'm feeling gassy <laughs> well, actually, yes, sort of. It's uh, all gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, money a mickle make. Uh, sorry, I'll start again. Money a mickle max a muckle. That's easy for you to say. Uh, I felt like is, I feel like that's a banishing spell from Harry Potter. It, it, it should have been. It was look after the pennies and the dollars look after themselves. Aaron Ross, uh, I think you are ready to move to, to, move to Scotland with two out of ten. It's more than most. <laughs> I'd like to know if any listener actually got more than any of us. Because, I mean, Rob showed me these earlier when you researched. I was like, not a sausage. If not you did, those. tweet us at Response Suite and yeah. let us know. <laughs> Let's go about it. Um, so I want to talk about deal size because we did start talking about this. And there's obviously multiple models we can use to look at the, the offers that we put in front of people and making them of a higher price and moving mm-hmm. up market, as we said. What are some of the strategies you've implemented and you've seen work really, really well for doing that? Because we talked earlier on about, about you know, having what's the largest number you can say with a straight face or something that, that I once heard somebody say. But how do we really do that and, and have the confidence to do that? Yep. Well, you know, when I, uh, 2011, when I again, got married, focused on my niche, put the book out and started to do more focused um, projects around app and prospecting, I think the first project I did was I quote it was like seven thousand five hundred dollars, mm-hmm. um, and then you know I think just kind of testing things out maybe we did move that up to fifteen to thirty thousand dollars pretty quickly, and then we I think we extended the project lengths and at some point we quoted you know fifty thousand dollars and we ended up doing projects of one hundred and twenty thousand dollars wow. that were you know really there was more work but it's a lot easier to grow a business it's hard to grow a big business out of small deals. So if you do fewer, bigger, better deals, whatever that means to you, right? If you can go from fifty dollars to one hundred fifty or fifty thousand to one hundred fifty thousand, it's usually easier because for you and for the customers. And so I think that again, it goes back to like, what do they really want? What do they really need? What are they willing to pay for? And in one sense, there's a lot of coaches and and people who are relationship based in terms of they're building a brand, they're building a message, and people like myself. And a lot of people want to work with them because they kind of trust the person and you don't have to have as many concrete details on what you're delivering and when you can kind of, you can keep it kind of loose to some extent. Um, I think when you move that towards more and more concrete outcomes and concrete details on here's what you're going to get here and looking for bigger value, but so um, here's, so in say, let's say app on prospecting, not only will, okay, we're not going to just train you for the weekend. We're going to work with you for six months to train your, your prospectors and ensure that their whole team is generating qualified pipeline. 
that's going to turn into revenue. Um, even more than that, now we're looking at, okay, we can actually build you, we're going to hire and build your outbound prospecting team for you and train them for you and make sure they're generating revenue for you. Um, we're now so in the realms of done for you services, aren't we? We're now yeah. in the realms of rather than just teaching you some stuff, we're now about stepping in there and giving you that, that real specialized skill set. Yeah. And you're looking at kind of these, it's like an onion, these layers of the onion, which is where do you feel confident and be able to deliver what you want to do that works for you? What do they need? Are there some different options? Because some people want done for me. Some people want you to kind of tell me how to do it. And I think, again, what are they trying? Like it goes back to like, do you know your customers? What do they want? If you really know what they want, like our customers, they want extra, you know, sales growth. Um, how can we deliver that in a way which to them feels doable? They sort of get concrete things because people are willing to pay. People want to buy things. Mm-hmm. They're willing to pay more for a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, when you spell it out in, in detail, um, it's like if I say, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll coach you for six months. Okay. Well, all right. You get 12, I don't know, 12 calls. That's, those are things mm-hmm. versus that's, you know, not bad, but compared to you're going to get a team of three prospectors generating eight opportunities each per month. Right. That's a thing that's more important to them. So you can, how do you know your customer? Um, how can you, here's one exercise that in the books, which is like this 10 X exercise, take your average deal size today, right? Maybe you're doing $7,000 projects. Mm-hmm. What would it take for you to propose and someone to want to sign you up for a, a 10 times project, a $70,000 project, right? That's an exercise that is great for two reasons. One, it forces you to think bigger because even if you start proposing, if you start proposing bigger projects, you'll get some, maybe not that big, but, um, but it forces you to think outside your day to day, like outside your box. Mm-hmm. And it may not be, and also it's this question around what would they, um, what would they want? What would be, what would be worth to them to pay for that much? Yeah. Like it may not be what you do today. So it may give you good ideas on how to extend what you do and make it more valuable to be able to, um, deliver a 10 times size project and feel great about it. Right. But I've got to ask you, you know, you're Aaron Ross, you're the guy who did amazing stuff, stuff at salesforce.com. You've written some of, you know, some of the best books in most respected books in the world of SaaS. This great new book from impossible to inevitable, fabulous book that you wrote with Jason Lemkin. You've got a load of credibility, but I've got with all of that stuff behind you. I've got to ask you a bit of a personal question. That is like, how do you feel when you, when you went from that conversation of, Hey, I'm charging seven and a half grand to yeah. it's going to be 30. Now does Aaron Ross get nervous, a little bit twitchy? Does he have that shaky hand? Like does, does somebody even who's worked at your level and across the experience you've got, do you get nervous about that? Um, I want to say yes. I don't know if it's nervous about that. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking back, I'm sure there are plenty of situations when I was quoting prices to people, whether it was unique genius or predictable revenue that mm-hmm. I felt like, Hmm, that seems like a lot. Or like, I remember actually I was doing unique genius coaching like 10 years ago. And I had a, uh, this is more like individual coaching, right. like helping people find their passion and turn it into some money. Right. Um, I might've had a regular coaching option for like $4,000 and I created like a platinum option for $15,000. I was like, who would want it? You know, it just seemed like so crazy, but someone picked it. And then I was like, oh, I got to deliver that. <laughs> so I think, I mean, the thing is like our people's are, especially in, in this, this world, our identities are often very tied up into money and price. And I think it helps if you sort of notice there, if you get, if you do get nervous, you know, why, like what's the big deal around proposing a bigger price 
or giving people two options, right? Option A is kind of the, the regular bread and butter option. And option B is something that's a lot more than that. That's, you know, like a platinum option is a way to start. So you don't, maybe you don't feel like everything's on the line if they don't want it. I will say it's easier to quote a bigger price and then come down than it is to quote a smaller price and go up. Right. That was great advice I got a long time ago that stuck. <laughs> and I would encourage people to raise, you know, look at raising your prices sometimes. And again, you want to do it in a way that you feel this is tricky. You want to make sure you're not, you know, you, that you're delivering value to customers. Right. And so I think part of this is when you are doing something specific in a niche and it's a very, like, if I'm a general, if I'm, if I'm a family practice doctor, you know, I can raise my prices, but if I'm a neurosurgeon, um, Again, I can say I can raise my prices by 10 times and feel justified because it's a specialty. Or if I'm a neurosurgeon who only focuses on children. So again, going back to this niche conversation, when you specialize in an area, I think it's easier to see the kinds of projects you would do, the kinds of value you would deliver, how you can raise your prices and justify them completely when, versus when you're trying to do kind of projects for everybody. Right. Because also one of the things you've got no one to be compared against, it's not like, Hey, but that guy or girl over there is doing it this way for this amount. You're like, heck yeah, but I'm going to be you stuff. That's really specific to your industry. And it's all, it's very niche, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things to pull out of that incidentally is that this applies to everybody. If you're currently selling $50 eBooks, then, then, you know, a bigger deal size might be, okay, create a $297 video course and you've just whatever percentage that is. Just move it on up like, and just, so, yeah. So that's cool. Having I, said, I, and Sorry, go on. Yep. Well, great example. So I have a company who's I'm going to partner with or on, um, yeah, I, I did enough kind of online business courses selling 10 years ago to know that, man, that's a lot of work. So mm -hmm. I could only pick, I either was going to focus on that or focus on consulting. And for right. me, it was a lot easier to make more money doing consulting and doing bigger consulting projects. Um, because right. selling stuff online, that's its own business. Now, having said that I'm partnering with a company that's going to take my stuff. We're going to, they're going to create and do more of that. And they're like, we don't want to start with, um, you know, like a few hundred dollar options or $50. We basically, the first option they want to start with is a $5,000 coaching mastermind type thing. Okay. I uh, start at a bigger, higher price point and then, then go lower over time rather than starting low and going higher. So everyone's different, but that's, uh, that, that fits me. I, that fits with my experience. In terms of what and do you know what's beautiful about this is, is we're talking about niching here and all of that, that premium pricing of entering the market at 5k, which would terrify the living hell out of a lot of people. They'll think, you know, usually it's the other way around using the Ascension model is only possible because you've carved a niche and you've right, created authority because it's, it's easier to become the authority in a smaller carved out niche. You can enter that that way. Yeah. So, but I mean, that's the thing is, if you have a really carved out niche, you don't need to have a lot of the authority yet because, again, your skills and the way you can talk about that specific niche will be so readily apparent that your results that you can talk about and deliver will be your authority. Right. The the more broad you are, I think the more authority you need because it makes up for the lack of specificity. Right. Huh, that's, that's just, let's go that. I love that. I love that. Absolutely adore that. There was a thing a few years ago, I was speaking at a marketing event in Orlando and some, I did a, like a hot seat thing afterwards where they ask you questions like a Q and a panel thing. Like was, why is your hair red? Yeah, exactly. And so, some woman in the front row said, um, we'd been talking about putting your prices up. And this lady said, how'd you put your prices up? And I, and directed the question at me because of something I'd said earlier in the event. And I sort of half flippantly, cause I knew I could get away with it said, put the number up, make a bigger number. Yeah. And then she yes. said, and, and, and I was ready to kind of elaborate True. 
and until she said, but my customers won't pay more than X amount. I said, well, if you're delivering, if you're delivering the value that you want to deliver in order to charge the price you want to charge, just get different customers. Because the only reason they won't pay that price is they can't afford it. Like if, like that's the only Or you haven't demonstrated value, you're in the ma- wrong market, they're at the wrong stage. So I just it's, find, it's, find, it's, find those different customers. It's a will. symptom, right? It's a symptom. And that's it. So yeah. I think that's really, I think that's a really yeah. valuable lesson to pull out. Yeah, and true. And like, I'm going to be, yeah, hey, there's going to be, there's a transition period when you're moving from lots of, if you do have lots of little customers that struggle to pay you to, you know, moving up market and customers are more uh, appreciative um, more willing to pay for you. Mm-hmm. That might take a few weeks, a few months, a few years. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't tell you exactly how long that takes. There can be a transition period. It's not like you flip a switch. I mean, the thing is, the problem with the social media today, I mean, first of all, social media is beautiful in its own way. I'm not really on it that much, but I do appreciate it and I get to share some things. But the problem is we have, we're in bombarded by all the instant success stories, <laughs> right? Because that's what people write about because it's boring to write about the success stories that take 10 years to make instant sort of overnight success. Oh yeah. Look at Instagram. It's the highlights reel of someone's 10 year overnight yeah, success. I mean, come on. It's, it's so, but, and we, we, we know that, but the thing is we sort of don't really pay attention because we just want to yeah. get over the hump here. We're like so desperate to make more money that sometimes we don't, we're not willing to do the work. To, you know, see, I want to gain muscles now, so I'm going to take steroids, or I'm going to lose weight now, so I'm going to take, you know, whatever this the, the drugs whatever are. The latest thing is, yeah, yeah. And then you, then maybe that maybe it works for a few weeks or not, maybe it doesn't. But then when you get off the drugs, and then you get to this point of, well, okay, do you either want to, you either can keep doing the drugs, or you can build the hab- the right habits that'll keep you at whatever level you want to be. Because right. if you kind of use some sort of false juice to get you to a certain point then you take the juice away, you won't have that foundation to create a, either, in this case, a healthy business, healthy mindset, um, something that's going to sustain you and be able to help you figure how to, what does it take to grow the business for your income over decades, not just for the next six months. Absolutely. And we're in the realm now talking about another principle that you talk about in your latest book, which is From Impossible to Inevitable. And we're talking about doing the time, aren't we? Yeah, because I don't know why people... I think just because especially that um, the world, this connected world is, is warping our perspective of reality and which is in itself isn't necessarily bad. It's just that, um, and here's the cycle we get into, which is, okay, I'm trying to start a business, grow a business. I want to get, I want to get to a million dollars. I want to get to a hundred thousand dollars, whatever the, whatever that goal is you want, especially financial, but it could be, it could be around love. I want to get married. It doesn't really matter what it is. We're on social media or if you are, you get surrounded by people who have made tons of money fast. They've got, they're getting married, having kids, right? They found the perfect match mm-hmm. because, you know, no one, because the person they're marrying, there's no flaws at all. And the mm-hmm. business they're growing, there's no problems in it, right? They're just crushing it. And, you know, people share the, the exciting parts either because they're excited to share or they want to brag or a combination. Um, but, you know, no one who wants to share the shit that you go through. Totally. I mean, you know, it's like in parenting, you know, we have nine, we have nine going on 10 or 11 kids and it's fun to share a cute picture. But if I'm sitting there either yelling or being yelled at someone, I'm not going to pick my phone up and start videoing it. <laughs> so it just that. So again, it's, we, uh, yeah, we can tell ourselves not to pay attention, but you know, it does hit us at some emotional level that we don't in a conscious level around everyone around me is, has these beautiful bodies, all this money. They're doing all these cool things. They're traveling. And you know what? I'm stuck at home or my business dealing with a bunch of shit every day because at least with a business, most of what your day is spent is dealing with problems, right? You're solving problems. That's what a business does. You solve problems. Mm -hmm. So kind of by 
Uh, I mean, I would love to have a business that I, I don't know, went and shot guns and raced cars. I don't know. I might even get bored about that. I, I'm not even sure what I want to do every day, but you know, it's interesting to solve problems. So go step back and think, well, these really fast success stories by the very nature, like people only want to write about fast successes, big successes, or like big failures. But really most people, it's a slow ongoing grind over years and years and years to get to the success that they feel like they, they want to share something. That's true for me. That's true for everyone I know. Um, there's always things behind the curtain when you look. And if someone had a big, you know, there's a term one hit wonder. Think about the band, you know, in bands, people have this one hit wonder. They get lucky and then they disappear. Yeah. So the big key really is, is be ambitious enough to try and you know pace and move forward, but at the same time, be realistic enough to expect this is going to take a while. You're going to hit learning curves. You're going to hit problems and then eventually you'll overcome them. Now, yeah, you got you to be fucking stubborn and, and persistent. Right. Yeah, sure. Now, we're going to interrupt proceedings for the second and final time All right. to play uh, our second. And this is, honestly, this is our favorite game. So here's how it works. My colleague Kennedy here, hello, that's him. He's going to sing a song for you now. And he's going to sing a song, but in the style of a traditional British pub singer or Scottish <laughs> pub singer, if you know. Like. No, it's not going to be Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> and therefore, some of the words are going to be hard to understand. When mm. I say some of them, I mean all of them. So I've just chosen this <laughs> It's yeah, a well-known song. It's a beautiful thing. I've just chosen this song, presented it with the lyrics. This was a favorite before this. Literally presented this with the lyrics to Kennedy, and he's going to sing it for you now. That was the best one you've done all year, I Are think. you joking? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to give you a pat on the back for that. That's no pleasure for Aaron. Any idea? I feel like I know the tune, the music. I have no idea. Uh, I otherwise have zero idea. No, <sighs> that was Kiss by Prince. Ah, uh, okay. You don't like, have to be beautiful. Don't have to be. That's the that's to be my. Okay, all right. I do. I love that like, you went yeah. for it as well. That was exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right that was it with the right words and with a tune as well. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we tweeted out and put on our Instagram at response. We asked if anybody had any questions for for Sir Aaron Ross and, um, and Lord Aaron Ross, I should say. And uh, Alfie, no, you say Lord, Lord, actually, Lord, Lord, Lord. Yeah, long drawn out. <laughs> yes, our <laughs> listener Alfie Joey asked this question, which I thought was really nice. What single tool or tactic? have you used from another role model that's really led to some of your, your success today? Oh, um, I don't know, a notebook and pen that Richard Branson says he doesn't live without. Really? So that you're a real, yeah. you're a real note taker in that way. Yeah. The thing is I've noticed a difference because for years I got, I got off that. Like back when I was really sort of not even taking notes, I was just writing stuff down and doodle and draw and take notes. And I would have a lot more ideas I, I for sure had, and also I didn't have 10 kids, but right. I noticed, a, I noticed a difference, um, when I'm not doing notebooks, it just, it does, I, it stirs things up in different ways that I don't get when I'm not using a notebook with paper and pen. That's really interesting. That's, that's, that's the bottom line. So 
Okay. Okay. I think it's really, that's really amazing. Actually, uh, we, we had a really good question. I think we've answered it actually from Pete Wilkinson, who's the founder of Reclaro. And he was asking about, basically we've talked about this niching thing being really one of those things that regardless of what stage you're at, whether you're making nothing right now and you're not VC and you're not, you've got no funding behind you and you're just bootstrapping and getting started or you're yeah. like 5 million, it really doesn't matter. If you get this niching stuff right, you really are off on that right track. Yes. Yes. Awesome. So we're going to go ahead and jump into what we lovingly refer to as the quick fire round. Hey, hey, you don't want to miss out on more of these fabulous nuggets, do you? Make sure you subscribe to the Three Marketers podcast now on your podcast player. Aaron, what would be a book apart from your own fabulous ones that you would recommend? Um, you know, the business, one of my favorite business books is uh, called Wooden. Wooden. What? It's about... Uh, John Wooden, who was the most famous or winningest basketball coach in the United States and all his management principles. Very cool. That's a it's really easy, it's short and easy. Yeah, short and easy to read. That was one of the most influential books on my uh, sales thinking and sales career. Awesome. Uh, what's one of your top success habits? Something that you do daily or weekly? Um, commit to things. Uh, whether I feel like I'm ready to do it or not, I will commit to things publicly is a way to force myself to do things that I might not even be, I'm either, I don't want to do it. I'm not sure if I can do it, or I don't feel like I have the energy to do it. I will make a public commitment. Is this something you like to commit to now? Um, no, but I'll give, give you, I'll give you an example. It's the same thing around, Hey, if you're going to get in shape, do you join a gym or do you sign up for a marathon and tell your friends you're going to do the marathon? Right. Yeah. It's that, that is, that's a massive change. And in terms of entrepreneurs and marketers, that kind of group of people, who is it you look up to? Um, honestly, you know, I don't have a good answer. Like the, the Winston Churchill. Oh, wow. I don't, ha- I don't really have anyone I follow that way. I love, you know, on Instagram, I do follow people, some people who do like woodworking and some kind of crazy skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, like people have interesting skills and talents that I'm just like, how do you do that? But I don't think I really, I look up to more of uh, my wife, um, mm-hmm. in Churchill. I think that too, I'm just so in my day to day, right. uh, we're kind of being a better person. I don't always have a good answer to that. <laughs> That's good. Awesome. Uh, what are some of your favorite apps that you think are super cool right now? You know, I, I love Dropbox because all our family stuff can be in there, whether it's like adoption certificates because half our kids are adopted or photos, um, Evernote. There's probably hello. I just, I don't, I, I feel really boring with apps because all the fan, all the fancy ones just don't seem to work as well as they're promised to. But you like to keep it simple and you just like whack it all. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just kind of keep it simple. So like hello fax is amazing. Hello yeah. fax, Gmail, Evernote, Dropbox, the basics. Keep it that way. Big important questions for you. Who do you like more redhead Rob or platinum head Kennedy? I, you know, I've got to go with the platinum hair Kennedy yeah, because was- honestly, the name Kennedy and platinum, they're just, you know, red Rob sounds almost like a pirate. Platinum, <laughs> I'm going to buy that. Platinum, <laughs> platinum, Ken- platinum Kennedy feels like the Beyonce of Edinburgh or Scotland. Sorry, I, I don't remember where you guys are based. But. And he's wearing the same hot pants. So, <laughs> yes. oh, Stop it. finally, most importantly, where can people go and find out more about you and everything that you're doing? Sure. Um, from impossible to, sorry, from impossible.com is the best place to find the book. It's on Amazon. I sh- it's, uh, you know, Amazon's the easiest place to find the book from an, from impossible to inevitable. 
So from impossible.com. Uh, I'm on social media. My our business is predictablerevenue.com. Love it. We'll find all the links to that in the show notes for this episode, folks. Uh, thanks again, Aaron, for making the time to hang out with us. And I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I really like that idea that you've got to just do the time. Yeah. One of the things we all see uh, converts really well on sales pages and stuff or free offers is about making things fast. The fastest way, the one-click way. But actually, for, to grow an actual sustainable business, the way that we're all trying to do it, you do just need at some point do the time, allow the ad to run, allow the funnel to convert, do the time. I was chatting to a client of mine the other day and basically saying, what else can I be doing? You know, my ads are running, the funnel's doing its thing. Uh-huh. What else should I be doing? And I was like, I don't know, go to the pub, do whatever you want to do. Like, no, 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 like, what should I be doing? I was like, well, you, you wanted a business that was, uh, that was passive-ish, didn't you? And said, yeah, so well, well, you know, ad you set running, right? Give it some time and come back. And, oh, but can I not do anything with it now? I was like, no, no. Like I said, give it a week. Passive means don't sit and look at that, that watch pot. It's not going to boil, is it? Exactly. So go away and come back in a week. And so How many of us though, and I've done that, I think you've done it as well. We have talked about this, who go into all of this and they end up creating themselves a job. 100%. It, it, it really, really does happen. If you've missed any moment of this, we've made all the show notes available for you over at blog.responsesuite.com slash 065. You'll be able to see all the links and links to Aaron's books and all that sort of good stuff. Now, before you go, mm-hmm. uh, there is one thing that we'd love you to do. In fact, exactly. we implore you to do. We need you to do it. We're going to get down on our knees and beg if you make us. Please don't make us. Yes. Uh, we are celebrating new listeners. That's what we're doing. We are. Celebrating you listeners. And the way to do that is pop over to... Just head over and leave us a review on iTunes. It's responsesuite.com forward slash iTunes. Made that easy for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and leave us a little review. Tell us what your big takeaways were. Tell us what you thought about this episode or the other episodes you've listened to. And when we say iTunes, of course, we mean whatever on earth Apple have called it this week. I think is it Apple Music Player Now or Podcast, whatever the heck it's called this week. I've, I've lost track. To be honest. Yes, I don't know. One of those. Yeah, yeah. but we, we've put the link to it over at old classic slash iTunes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Leave us a review. We'll give you a shout out on an upcoming future episode. You lucky duck. You lucky thing. Yes, let us know what you're up to as well. We'd love to know what your big takeaway from this episode is and celebrate all the new listeners. That's it for another week. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe. Otherwise, you'll miss these golden nuggets dropping in your ear ear holes next week. Are we the golden nuggets? We are absolute nuggets. (laughs) See you next week. Don't miss a thing. thing. Check out the show notes at blog.responsesuite.com.